oftentimes redefinitions are framed as this is so that we can uplift this group or make this person more visible, but you don't help anybody by redefining truth. Truth is objective. And this is all about subjectivity and relativism, which is dangerous. Hi, welcome to Wild and Beautiful. We're Joanna Hyatt and Lauren Enriquez, your co-hosts who every week are helping you live out your faith in a way that's biblically rooted, but culturally relevant. All right, Enriquez, I have a question for you. What is your favorite evening snack, like after the kids go to bed that you make for yourself? (laughs) This is an embarrassing question, to be honest, because I eat like a full meal before bed every night. I have like a second dinner, and I'm not even exaggerating. Did you plan this? At minimum. No, I'm just hungry, okay? okay? I'm hungry at night. I either at minimum will eat like a full protein bar or last night um, I had an English muffin ham and cheese sandwich. Wow. And, and I had two cookies with chocolate chips and whipped cream on top of them. So I think it was like 600 calories. Okay, but you do CrossFit in the mornings. Mm-hmm. That's I, I did it. I've been doing it in the afternoons. So either way, yeah, I'm particularly do hungry at you night. You do it. <laughs> Uh, my favorite is this thing called uh, Hell's Fire Chips that my friend Kate introduced me to. So you do potato oh. chips, and then you crumble um, a blue cheese that you like. I've found one from Trader Joe's. And then you pour Frank's hot sauce, and you bake it so everything melts. Oh, that sounds good. It's so Wait, good. how do you eat like that? You weigh like 12 pounds. I, is that like all you'll eat in a day? No. I also eat all my children's <laughs> leftovers, okay? Uh, you know, it, I have been blessed with a good metabolism. And I do work out. I do, what do I do? Bar method. I run after my children, things like that. Oh, yeah. That's good stuff. But the other night, I was— Deceptively hard, those bar It is deceptively hard. You're like, this can't mm-hmm. be that difficult. And then I'm like on the yeah. floor dying. So Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But I was making these chips the other night, and we uh, we must have watched— Like, I did a workout on YouTube, and so I turned the TV on. And I'm making the chips, and I turn over, and I see that YouTube has decided to start a workout for me. Which I just thought was not not appropriate. Rude. So rude. Like, rude. listen, I am having my bedtime. Kids are not around. Snack in my sweatpants, and I don't need you to subtly throw up a workout and tell me what I should be doing. It was just unnecessary. I mean, it was unnecessary. Maybe it's a compliment. It's a. It thinks that it thinks that's how you are. You just want to work out at all hours of the day. Maybe, but I did not appreciate that reminder <laughs> that like you could be doing this with your time right now. So uh-huh. I turned it off and I ate my chips. No. Hell's Fire chips sounds like a much better idea. Yeah, they're delicious. It's from some restaurant in Arizona, and I highly recommend it. You will not regret it if you like spice. If you don't like spice, okay. oh, I do. Go eat I love it. a salting cracker. So. <clears throat> Anyway, we're not talking about food, but I just wanted everybody to have a snack idea. Let us know what your favorite snacks are, uh, obviously, at wildandbeautifulpodcast at gmail.com, because we need more snacking ideas. Today, though, we're talking about something that's kind of fun to me, although you pointed out that it sounded redundant. We're talking about words. (laughs) We're using words to talk about words. We're using words to talk about words. That's right. But it's such an important topic. Oh, my gosh. Like, how many words have been redefined in the last 10, 20 years? And, but we don't talk about it that much Mm-mm. as a as conservatives, as Christians, as believers. Like, words are how we signify reality to each other. They are so, 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 so important. And language is such a gift. It's how we explore. It's how we express our rationality. 
But there is like such an assault on the truth, and it's coming through the left's attempt to redefine words and gut our language. And I, for one, I'm not going to. I don't like it. I don't want to stand for it. And I'm going to try to push back against it. And so that's why we wanted to talk about words, uh, because we're seeing it slip into so many of these issues that, you know, are dominating the headlines. And and yet really what it comes down to is if we're not using the same words and meaning, it gets very convoluted. And, you know, you can sort of feel like you are on ever-shifting ground. Like, wait, what are we talking about today? And what's the word? Uh, Whether it's abortion, uh, whether it's gender, whether it's, you know, women. And, And as people of faith, like, listen, John, the book of John opens up by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the fact that God Mm -hmm. speaks to us, you know, through the Bible, that that is the written Word of God that we can learn and glean from, that is an amazing thing. People have been advanced, societies have been advanced by people being able to read and to be able to read the written Word. And when you are constantly changing what a word means to fit your own agenda, you get into very treacherous territory because you're unable then to actually have a conversation with somebody uh, and have a dialogue about, well, what's the solution? How do we solve this if we're not even using the same words or the words can be changed to mean whatever I want it to mean to suit my cause du jour? Right. And I think we took this for granted because we tend to think that everyone's on the same page with us. Like, yeah, words words have objective meanings. They signify reality. We can all—kind of the tiebreaker in a debate is, well, what is—let's go look up that word. Um, but if, the, if somebody in the debate can actually redefine the word successfully— you don't have any common ground. You don't have a tiebreaker. You don't have an objective truth that you can both reach together. It just makes the whole point of arguing sort of moot. Raising up kids, you are constantly teaching them what words mean, right? They point to things and mm-hmm. they say, what is that? What is that? What is this? And we all have sort of an agreed upon understanding of that is a tree. Here's what tree always means. That is, you know, a dog. Here's what dog means and how dog is different than mm-hmm. cat. And it used to be pretty self-explanatory of that is a woman, that is a man. You know, I find my children ask that a lot. They'll hear a song, they'll say, is that is that a boy or a girl singing, right? They're trying to constantly categorize and put things like with like. And, you know, as somebody who speaks in a second language to their kids, if you don't know, I, I speak Spanish to my children, so they're bilingual. And I have found that, you know, kids will pull the word that's easiest for them to communicate, but there's not always a same for same word. You know, a word in Spanish may actually better communicate an emotion than a word in English. And that's a beautiful thing for them to have because these words mean something and we all agree that those words mean something. Imagine the confusion and chaos that is being put on a whole generation growing up where the words no longer mean what they have always meant uh, or the words Mm -hmm. are being just tweaked enough that you're not, you're like, well, that sounds nice, But is it true? Yes. I think that when we are learning language, um, we're always striving, how do I find the best word to say what I mean? And like you pointed out, and sometimes that word is going to be in a different language and you might not even know it exists, but you're going to keep using the language that you have to try to express what is this feeling I have? What is this image I have in my head? What is this reality that I'm sensing is true, but I don't know how to convey that to the person I'm talking to? We teach our kids to 
read and read as much as they can and look up definitions because we want them to have what my Latin teacher used to call command of the language. He would always say, I took the same Latin teacher in college for eight semesters, and he would always say, I want you to have command of the Latin language because the goal with a language is to be able to just recall any word that you may need in that situation to convey the reality that is in your head, a word is signifying a reality. And so if we have command over the language that we're using, we can signify reality. And we're always going to be striving toward expressing the truth with our language. And it's always going to fall a little bit short because we ultimately find the source of truth in God. And our language, if we're if we're using it properly and we're not abusing it, our language is seeking after that truth. It's it our, I like to think of language as like chasing God down and trying to trying to properly convey who he is and the truth of the reality that he created. And uh, I know growing up, um, uh, I would, <laughs> I would always be trying to find the right word. And for some reason, it was more distressing to me than I feel like it was to other people when I couldn't find the right words to say what I was trying to say. So I remember being like 13 years old was the first year I went to the summer program in Boston with these nuns that would have high school girls come and stay with them for a week every uh, summer. It was so awesome. We would spend a week together. And at the end of the week on the last day before we all went home, um, the nuns would always award us these funny, like, these funny certificates that were making fun of something about us. And the first year I went, I received the Verbal Articulation Award (laughs) because (laughs) I guess throughout the whole week, I kept saying, I can't articulate what I'm trying to say, or I can't find the words for what I'm trying to express. And they just thought that was really funny. And I got the Verbal Articulation Award. And side note, the next year I got the award for the ability to fall asleep anywhere, which wow. I was really proud of. Okay. <laughs> got some in cars, on tables, on couches. I don't have I that can sleep skill. anywhere. <laughs> I find but look at that though, how how God used that. Like you are one of the most incredible writers I personally know. And you're able to Thank you. use, you know, the command of the language to communicate an idea so concisely and directly. And it's becoming increasingly rare among just kind of our general population when I look around for people to be able to actually articulate well beyond 140 characters mm-hmm. because we're not used to having to put our thoughts down uh, beyond, again, like a quick tweet or even an Instagram, and we don't read. There, there is there is power mm-hmm. in reading a variety of different styles. You know, there's a reason that you encourage kids to read poetry, to read fiction, yeah. uh, to read nonfiction, because they're learning all along the way. How do you take words and put them together to create something beautiful and and powerful? You know, they say the pen is mightier than the sword because words properly used can have such an impact, and we're seeing that. On the reverse side, words improperly used are wrecking havoc on our culture right now. So why don't we unpack some of those things uh, where we can see very clear examples where words Mm -hmm. have gone kind of haywire and things are going crazy. Yeah, so I try to put a few of these in chronological order as far as I could tell. So one of the ones I like to start with is actually the word abortion. Mm. Abortion is really a euphemism. It doesn't accurately convey what's happening in that act. It conveys kind of a muddy um, uh, word that doesn't 
doesn't really elicit violence or negativity in your mind when you hear it, um, the more accurate word for that act would be killing. But we kind of lost that battle before it even began because abortion is just what we always accepted uh, as a euphemism for what really happens in that act. And as a result, 63 million American children um, have died since Roe v. Wade. So that— I'd like to think that if we would have been talking about what abortion was from the beginning in more accurate terms, signifying that reality with our words, maybe we could have won this battle a little sooner. If you've been listening to us for any amount of time, you're not surprised at all that we started with abortion. <laughs> and with with everything that's happening you know, right now as we're recording this, we're still anticipating uh, the, the decision on Roe v. Wade and, and whether or not that's being reversed. And so you're watching this— just fervor around this conversation. And what is noticeable is that they don't ever call an abortion what it really is. You know, I think if we did have to say, Mm -hmm. keep killing children legal, then suddenly people would be a little more uncomfortable with that. Oh, a whole lot more. Uh, You just just would just back down from being so like in your face about it. And Mm -hmm. abortion is such a, such a nice word because you don't actually know what it means. You just throw it out there. It doesn't mean anything. And most people don't understand what an abortion procedure looks like, what it does at, you know, what is abortion like at 26 weeks, at 32 weeks, uh, even at, at 10 weeks, what, what does that actually mean? And, and so that Mm -hmm. was a very clever move on the other side, or to phrase it in terms of women's rights, reproductive health, things that most of us Mm -hmm. don't actually sit down and say, well, what do you mean when you say that? Because it's constantly shifting, right? I mean, you and I were even talking about how there's a shift from calling it a choice to a decision and and all these little changes that are constantly being done by the other side to subvert truth and hide the fact that every day uh, women are being encouraged to kill their children, to battle against their own bodies in order to achieve what they hope is is you know these dreams in the future uh, never being told hey guess what like maybe those children are actually the avenue to those dreams and so abortion's a big yeah. one a huge one and in the same way it's sort of like if we talked about slavery different we would have just thought well you know well it's a it's a free it's a free work service it's a peculiar institution that's actually what it was called yeah. a peculiar mm-hmm. institution well that doesn't sound as bad as the fact that you are actually enslaving people, that you're ruining their lives, you're treating them like property, a peculiar institution where you could call abortion that. And so being really mindful when you're having conversations on this issue, uh, pushing people a little bit gently to say, well, when you say that, what does that mean to you? What what is your understanding of what an abortion is? Yeah. Yeah, abortion kind of fits in the category of the left using euphemisms Mm. instead of accurate words. That's kind of one of the categories of how they subvert language. We're going to talk about others, but you said something I just want to point out really quick before we move on to the next word that the left has basically gutted. And that is you said, when you're in conversation with people and the definition of a word is not clear, asking them, what do you mean? It is such a powerful tool because maybe they haven't actually thought about what they mean. Maybe they need to be educated in what they're talking about because they're using a euphemism. Sometimes instead of demanding that they use the word that is correct, just eliciting them that out of them more slowly by asking them, what do you mean, can be so powerful. I wish I could tell you I planned to say that. That was all Holy Spirit, so— 
Win. That's how it re- <laughs> that's how he works. <laughs> all right. So the next word, and we've probably all had a conversation about this at some point, but the next word is the word marriage. Mm-hmm. The word marriage always meant, and by definition does mean, the union of a man and a woman. So to subvert this, and and I say subvert this, but really what the left wanted to do was obliterate this word. This word no longer means anything. They added a modifier to this word, and modifiers are kind of another category. We talked about euphemisms. I would put modifiers in another category of how the, the left degrades what a word actually means. They put gay in front of marriage. And so slowly we started to adjust our minds around this new definition of marriage which again ultimately obliterated what the word meant, where marriage is suddenly now just a union of two people. Maybe maybe now we can add three or four people to that. Can they all be the same sex? Can it be three people of different sexes? Like the word really doesn't mean anything anymore because we added this modifier. When I was in college uh, for my senior year, I had to write a thesis and I wrote it on the gay marriage debate. Uh, And I said, basically my whole thing was, whoever sets the terms of this debate is going to win this Mm. conversation. And I said, because what what we're seeing happen, and this was at the very beginning, because I graduated college in 2006. um, Okay. What we're seeing, I said, what we're seeing happening is these terms, civil rights, right? It's a civil right. Well, actually, how we have for a long time understood civil rights was things like an immutable characteristic. If I'm walking down the street and I see you and I see that your skin color is different than mine, knowing nothing about you, I can immediately tell something about you. Whereas if you are same-sex attracted or opposite-sex attracted, I don't know that looking at you. So I can't actually discriminate mm-hmm. against you just looking at you kind of things. And different things like that saying, but but we're seeing this hijacking of language and, and being used. And here we are. And, and I saw it coming down the pike and it was just frustrating because so often we seem to be slow to call out a redefining yeah. and to either reaffirm or better articulate uh, mm-hmm. what what we are meaning, uh, you know, about a word or a series of words or an idea. And I don't know if that's because we're afraid to use language or to call out when we see this misuse because we're not sure how to do it in a way that still um, addresses people's pain points and the humanity mm-hmm. of people. But that was a big one where we lost that fight because we did not take command of the take command of the language. Yeah. I I think it was kind of like the frog being slowly boiled situation where it was happening so slowly and so rarely that it didn't trigger this like gut, oh no, moment in our minds when we saw that modifier added to marriage, gay marriage. Okay. We had never, we weren't that familiar with the attempt to redefine a word. Now it's happening every freaking day. (laughs) And I think we need to start having this like visceral reaction to it where we say, oh, no, 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 we're, we're going to stop this right here. We're going to continue using this word in the definition that it is, and we're not going to make an exception. Um, I mentioned the modifiers. I think that this is kind of a whole category, but um, I want to point out, like, this is something for people to be aware of. When you see a word that has always had a meaning, start to um, adopt these random modifiers added to the beginning or qualifiers. 
um, be on the lookout. And I want to point out justice as a really important one. Justice means to give each his due. This goes back to like Aristotle before Aristotle. This is an ancient word with a settled definition. What the left started doing in recent years was adding modifiers to the word justice. So climate justice, gender justice, racial justice. What the heck? What this really does is it creates the opposite of justice. If justice is to give each his due in whatever category or context you're talking about, and you start to add a qualifier to that, racial justice becomes a thing where people are being um, privileged based on, like you said, immutable characteristics, gendered justice. People are being privileged based on certain identities, um, and that's not justice. So just be on the lookout for people adding extra words (laughs) before words that already have definitions. Well, we see that even happening within Christianity, right? That we have now, like, uh, especially tied to the gospel, right? It's a, what is it, a social gospel or uh, Mm -hmm. a a gospel of X, Y, Z. And you realize, nope, nope, it is just Jesus. Just the gospel. Just the gospel. (laughs) And even when you see in the Old Testament, you know, that famous verse that says, uh, pursue justice and love mercy. It Mm -hmm. matters what these words mean. It matters how we are understanding them. And that's why it's so important to be in the Word every day and not just keep reading the same section. Like, read the Old Testament. Read Mm. the New Testament. Because to understand what our um, biblically rooted perspective should be is to understand the breadth of Scripture. And then you also pull in what have early church fathers said? What have really wise theologians and writers said on these things to help inform it. Because honestly, if we're taking our meaning of words from what has been written in the last 10 years, there's not a whole lot that that is going to last and not a whole lot that's actually good and rooted in in faithful, time-tested tradition. Uh, And so these words, they matter. And they're thrown out as like Mm -hmm. sexy buzzwords, a lot of virtue signaling of like, look at me, I'm all for justice here, justice there, justice that. But you realize, like to your point, it waters it down. And guess what? then there is actually no justice happening. There's just a lot of rage, and and it, it actually ends up leaving a lot of brokenness in its trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't help people by taking away the, the definitions of words. This is, oftentimes redefinitions are framed as, this is so that we can uplift this group or make this person more visible, but really that's not, you don't help anybody by redefining by trying to redefine truth, because truth is objective, and this is all about subjectivity and relativism, um, which is dangerous. Okay, so gender, we can just quickly go through this one. Gender is another word that's been But that's a great one (laughs) to say, this is one trying to claim (laughs) to affirm and be inclusive and all of that, and what we're seeing, not great. Yeah. Um, Gender really was, as far as I'm aware, it was really a grammatical uh, tool mm-hmm. for languages that are gendered. And even in English, for example, you grow up knowing that if you're talking about a group of people and one random person out of that group, um, he is sort of a default. It's not a sexist, uh, you know, use of the language. He is just how you default talk about somebody if their gender or their sex, excuse me, um, is ambiguous from a group of people. Um, I think it's really funny. I have I'm married to a Peruvian. I was having a conversation with my Peruvian sister-in-law and brother-in-law, and I asked them, what do you think about this term that the left uses now, Latin X? Because the left, (laughs) 
I just think this is funny because the left rails against colonization um, and they're basically trying to colonize gendered languages like Spanish, where you have O's and A's to define feminine and masculine. And they had never heard this before. And they, they like their eyes rolled back so far in their head that I, I thought I might have to call 911, but they could not believe that people were trying to redefine the gendered nature of Spanish to fit political ideology. But that's what we're seeing. Gender is really for language. Um, I think it expresses the masculine and feminine characteristics that go along with being male or female, respectively. Uh, But the other side has redefined it to such a crazy degree that, one, they are trying to colonize gendered languages, and two, I think that they are now so confused by trying to make gender into an identity rather than having sex, rather than viewing sex as part of your identity, that they have conflated um, gender identity with personality. Because Mm. the most recent crazy thing I heard about gender is that cake gender is now a thing, Mm -hmm. and cake gender is where you identify with the characteristics of an inanimate object like cake. You think that you're light and fluffy or that you have layers. And that's your personality, folks. That's not your identity, your gender identity. Yeah. I mean, you could listen. You could be funfetti cake, real full of sparkles, I guess, or dark chocolate. It just, like, we've so minimized. This is the other funny thing, though. Like, in seeking to be more inclusive, we've actually minimized what people are by by saying, like, you, you are a cake gender. Like, that's that you're so much more than that. You were made to be so much more. And we talk about that in our Body and Soul episode, that like, actually, we are to celebrate the bodies that God has given us uh, because they were intentionally formed and created with care. They were knit together. You are more than a cake mix. And even, you know, when when Disney has said, uh, among many things, Disney said, okay, we're we're switching our iconic uh, welcome to our parks of like, welcome, you know, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. It's now just dreamers of all ages. Well, what's funny, I, I even look at it and I think, okay, well, let's for two seconds go along with the fact that like, well, my gender is different. Aren't you still identifying as a gender, even if you're identifying as a gender different than your biology? So you're still actually uh, going with this really teeny, tiny percentage of people that are saying, I don't have a gender, which that causes all kinds of confusions, right? And so in trying to bend over backwards to accommodate people, we end up accommodating no one. And, and it just waters it down to mean nothing. Like we use these words that are nothing and they don't paint yeah. pictures, they don't inspire, they don't give clarity, they don't speak truth. And one area where we've seen that so clearly is in what does it mean to be a woman? Ten years ago, you ask yeah. anybody, what's a woman? Didn't seem like a complicated question. Uh, you know, and funny enough, when the leak happened around SCOTUS, suddenly it was not a complicated question again because mm-hmm. the left found out quickly how to define woman. It was somebody yeah. who had a uterus, which there's never been any question about that for most of us, for most of history. Uh, that is what it means to be a woman. Man is somebody who does not have a uterus, has a penis. And yet woman is this word right now that has been so convoluted. And and we've seen video after video after video online of people who will refuse to give any sort of a definition. It's insane. I think it, I don't think it's pushing too far to say that the goal of trying to get rid of the meaning of these words is that the left recognizes the 
the truth that is in God, and it can't overtake that reality, that power, that influence without completely gutting words, without completely gutting our language and obscuring our path toward truth. This is a complete rerouting in a different direction away from truth. Um, On the woman question, I thought it was funny, like you said, that we we went from being this scientistic community that could very proudly say that because of science, we now know that a woman is a person with XX chromosomes. Like we have the science to get that deep into our DNA as to be able to know a person's sex from a cell in their body to the Katanji Brown Jackson hearings where we now can't, we have no possible idea what a woman is. Um, And then if you ask anyone on the left what a woman is, they'll tell you a woman is anyone who identifies as a woman, which is a circular definition. Right, what am I identifying as? Using the word. (laughs) I'm identifying (laughs) as whatever I identify. That makes zero, zero logic. And by the way, you don't have to, like, if you've had a hysterectomy and you have no uterus, that doesn't mean you're not a woman. Want to clarify that? Because you're right, it comes down to that cellular level yeah. That, that yeah. if somebody finds our DNA, and I said this to a friend the other day, I said, if someone finds our DNA, they don't look at the DNA and go, oh, I, I can see that this person identified it. No, they look at the DNA and go, that was a woman. That was a man. Yeah. Th- there's yeah. not all these other extra um, circumstances around it. And, and we've gotten so confused. And it has legal and, and policy implications in this redefinition. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought it was really funny that Ketanji Brown-Jackson's answer was that she couldn't answer the question because she's not a biologist. And nobody pointed out at the hearing that in saying that, she was acknowledging that it is biology that defines the question of what a man or a woman is. But then a week or two later after this hearing, the Supreme Court leaks a draft of the Uh, opinion that could potentially overturn Roe v. Wade, and suddenly the whole left is back to its narrative that women have to be protected, and now we all are on the same page again, that women are biologically defined as people who can get pregnant. Um, And the the back and forth is so overt and Mm -hmm. so blatant as to make you realize that the left actually thinks that it now has the power to just decide Today, this word means this. Tomorrow, it's going to mean this. Then we're going to go back to it meaning this. And we're all just supposed to go along with it. And at some point, we're all going to have to agree that we're not going to go back and forth anymore. We have to stand up for this. It's so uncomfortable, but we can't just let it happen without a fight. Because if we do, the next generation isn't going to have the words to express the realities that we had growing up, which is such a gift. And I don't want them, I don't want them to lose that. Which, you know, as we wrap up our episode here, it's it's a reminder we have each got to hold the line on what these words mean. Whether that is in our individual conversations, that's in how you are teaching your own children, or if you have children that are in your care that you get to speak into, they're looking to you to understand what these words mean. The reason Mm -hmm. we have a generation with off-the-charts anxiety and depression and is in part because there's no clarity, there's no definition to their life and, and to how to navigate it. They, on any given day, are told you can wake up today and be a different, fully different person than you were yesterday. Well, that will induce panic in anybody. Uh, if you don't have some mm. clear s- parameters about who am I and who am I seeking to become? And so 
as individuals engaging online, engaging in relationships, raising up the next generation, we have to be the ones that hold the line and that speak the truth of what a word is. So, you know, practical ways that we can do this, you already said one, we don't go along with the redefinition. We mm-hmm. we do not give into it. I was talking to a friend who is progressive and I was talking about the the swimmer, Leah, and and she pointed back out to she was like, Well, you use the words um uh she or you use the words he and him to refer mm-hmm. to him. His their pronouns are she and her. And I was like, No, I was very intentional in the pronouns mm-hmm. I used. And I'm not caving to that. Because if we're not using the right terms, then we're all just giving into confusion. Yeah, and I want to just add to that. When we insist on using correct words, and especially when it comes to pronouns, we are not and we should not do this as a way of giving the, the other person the middle finger. finger Agreed. Trying to say it's my way or the highway, trying to say my political philosophy is better. We should do this out of a sincere desire and commitment to the truth. You cannot compromise on the truth. And what we need to realize is that language isn't a matter of etiquette so much as it is a matter of being committed to speaking the truth. And when we use somebody's pronouns incorrectly, that is a way of lying, in my opinion. And we we just can't do that. It's going to be very, very uncomfortable because I don't know if you've ever been attacked by a Twitter mob or been in a situation where like you said, using somebody's correct pronouns is met with resistance and pushback. Um, It's not comfortable, but it is necessary, and we can't just allow it to be normalized that we lie with our language in order to not upset people. Exactly. And and it it will be uncomfortable for a time, but I think if we graciously, lovingly hold to the truth uncompromisingly, we will see a shift uh, because— Over the decades, we've seen these changes on words because they were allowed. They were allowed to happen because there was pushback, or there was not pushback, excuse me. There was a a nudge, and nobody did anything, Mm -hmm. so they nudged a little Mm -hmm. more. Nobody did anything, and they kept nudging until all of a sudden Mm -hmm. the whole thing had been, uh, you know, the door had been pushed in. And so realizing that, that we are not accustomed to holding the line. And, and we mm-hmm. have to grow in that. And we're going to make mistakes, and, and we acknowledge it when we do, but but to hold the line for the future generations. And, you know, one of the things is to stay skeptical when you see words being used and you think, I don't, I don't know that that's actually what it is. Just be skeptical. Say, what do you mean by that? Uh, unpack mm-hmm. that for me. Let me go get a better understanding of what it's always meant or what it has meant previously, and then stop to think through what are the implications if that word changes? Right? And in, mm. in redefining women as somebody who's raising yeah. four girls, you redefine what it is to be a woman, you will actually erase women from society. Uh, because yeah. now, you know, there will be no protections. There used to be protections in the law uh, on sports, on workplace employment, all these things, in order to protect women from being shoved out by men. And now that's all being undone. And so stay skeptical. Um, and and don't go along with the redefinition of words. And to your point, seek to command your own language. That's right. Yeah, we want to have command of our language. And like we've like we've said, you really can get a lot of this from reading, looking up words, have a dictionary handy. If you have old dictionaries in your house, don't throw them away because <laughs> I envision this potential future where you're going to need those old dictionaries mm-hmm. to teach your kids what words actually mean. Because 
if you look uh, on some dictionaries online, words are being changed in real time in dictionaries to fit the woke, um, untruthful agenda. And so continue to seek out the, the real meaning of language and to the best of your ability, use language to pursue the truth. There's this quote from scripture, of course, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. I kind of view this as applicable to language. We're striving to use language the best that we can. Ultimately, we're going to find the full truth of of every word that we have tried to use in the word, in the word made flesh um, in heaven. But let's just use our language the best we can, earth side, um, in our journey toward heaven to bring others closer to him um, and to very obstinately resist falsehood. Amen. If you haven't already, please be sure to rate us, leave a comment, endorsement, share this with a friend, and make sure that the truth continues to get spread.